Amen. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Amen? You may have a seat. At our Ash Wednesday service, uh, just a couple days ago, before the imposition of ashes, I read these words. I invite you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in his church to the observance of a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. In the desert, Jesus shows us some examples of these things, self-examination and in parentheses repentance, I'll talk about that in a minute, prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and reading and meditating on God's Word. And I want to take just a few minutes this morning to point this out to you. First, self-examination and repentance. Repentance is simply a turning from active sin toward the ways of God. Jesus did not sin in the desert, nor anywhere else for that matter. We know that he was without sin. So he did not need to repent in the sense of turning from sin toward God. He didn't need to do that. But that is not to say that he did not give us an active example, a clear statement of what being fully turned toward God looks like. He gave us this in the desert. He didn't have to turn from anything. But he absolutely is the picture in the wilderness of being toward God and with him. And it is important that as we remember his desert experience, we must remember that Jesus was fully God, fully divine, and fully human, fully man. When we read these things about Jesus, we tend to forget that. We tend to forget the promise that we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand our humanness. See, if we miss that Jesus was human in the desert, then all of a sudden this becomes something different than an example. It becomes something different. And really, if we forget that Jesus was human in the desert, then when the writers of Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand our suffering and temptation, we've got a problem. Jesus was human. This desert experience was the real deal. Both in the divine and in the human. In the desert, Satan, the devil, comes against Jesus' very person. His full divinity. His full humanity. In these three temptations, the devil is trying to come against Jesus in his confidence in knowing who he is. What he was called to do and where he belongs. He was coming against his full, his full person. At the end of Luke chapter 3, the words we hear spoken over Jesus, you know this at the baptism. This, and in fact, the way Luke says it is not this is, You are my beloved son, God says, in whom I am well pleased. It is a public pronouncement, but in the first first person. You, Jesus, are my beloved son, God says, in whom I am well pleased. And then the very next words recorded, spoken words recorded, there's a short genealogy to prove that Jesus was God's beloved son. Luke gives us the details. But then the very next words spoken, to Jesus, is by the devil. 
And what does he say? If you are God's son. There is not a mistake here. If nothing else, Luke is a master, a master author. He is putting these two things next to each other. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then Satan says, if you are the son of God. If should be translated like this, I mean it. There is a sarcasm to this, to this from Satan. What he's saying is, Jesus, let's just pretend for a minute that you're actually the son of God. Let, let's just assume, for sake of argument, that you really are beloved. Let's just assume that for a second. Well, then you have the power to change rocks. So you should do that. Because if you're the son of God, if you can do that. I think sometimes when we read the temptations and when we teach the temptations, we think there's a hierarchy. Well, he just started with Jesus' hunger and kind of desperation and then he moved to the bigger things. I don't think we should read it that way. At the very least, these three temptations are all equal, and the devil is going in to have Jesus turn with every one of them. he's he's, he's He's not waiting. And in fact, I think in a very real sense, he comes after Jesus' most desperate place with the first one. He comes against his identity as the Son of God. If, if you are. I think this is a temptation that happens to us as well. That our great enemies that we just read through the great litany, the world, the flesh, and the devil, try to come and steal a sense of who we are. Because if the devil can steal from us our sense of being beloved sons and daughters of God Almighty, our good Father, then he's got us where we want, he wants us. Because then what starts to happen is we begin to reach out and grab things to make an identity for ourselves. I need wealth. I need power. I need intellect. I need sexuality. I need something that makes me feel human. When in reality, God has already declared it so for those of us who believe in Christ Jesus. We are his sons and daughters. We are beloved. Satan doesn't stop there. Jesus, of course, does not sin. He doesn't take the bait. He remembers the words of God and not the words of the devil. He remembers his baptism. There's a whole nother sermon for that, y'all, over here. Not today. He remembers his baptism and not that temptation in the desert. He listens to the right voice and responds with scripture. Nope, that's not how that goes. And so the devil doesn't give up. He comes against Jesus' calling, his very sense of why he's here. Satan comes right back again with the words, if you're the son of God, not a mistake. Well, if you're the son of God, then. Okay, all right, good. Okay. You'll wait for food. That's fine. If you're the son of God, you know, I can just give you all that's right there. Just look out here. I can give you, I just give it to you. I just give it to you. There is a not-so-subtle attempt by the devil to tempt Jesus to walk away from his calling. To walk away from the sense of his purpose and meaning. 
to walk away from why he is here. What Satan is saying to Jesus in that moment is you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to walk into your calling as the suffering servant. I can give you all that. We can go around all this nonsense. You can be the king. Because I'm the prince, I can give it to you. Just tell me. It's all yours. Everything you see can be yours. He comes after Jesus' sense of calling as the suffering servant. What Jesus experienced in the desert was not wealth or honor or power worthy of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It was preparation for his calling as the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, who, as we said many, many times this morning, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And the only way for Jesus to walk fully into that calling was through the cross. Unlike Jesus, we do sin. We take the bait on these temptations. Therefore, God makes a way through confession and repentance to be forgiven and absolved and to turn toward our calling. As we know, during this time of Lent, the calling that we turn to is to join Jesus in taking up our cross, taking his example of becoming the suffering servant and following in his ways. It is, at the very least, our common call together as a body of Christ, our vocation as disciples of Christ. We are to follow Jesus in the way of the cross. What an honor it is to suffer for our King. Actually, with our King, who knows our sufferings. Satan is rebuffed again there, and so he tries one more time, and he comes against Jesus in his fellowship with the Father and the Son. In this last temptation, there is something you can't miss. Satan twists God's word, tries to use it against Jesus. We often talk about this as strategy. It's not strategy. It's not merely strategy. It's not like, okay, Jesus, you're answering me with Scripture. Let me try to bounce this off. I'm going to try to come another way. In a human sense... Jesus was alone in the wilderness. We are are told nobody went with him. No human being went with him. But in in a divine sense, Jesus was absolutely not alone. Because we are told not only was he led into the wilderness, but Luke says he was led in the spirit, in the wilderness. That's actually how it should be translated. And what that means is that while he's in the wilderness, the Holy Spirit is also with him and ministering and guiding and directing him. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit directs us into is a communion with God. He helps us with our discussions to God the Father. Have you had this experience when you're in prayer and you're struggling? Holy Spirit, come. I don't even know what to say. And all of a sudden, oh. That's a moment of self-examination, by the way. I'm struggling. I want something else. Come. Jesus was alone in his humanity. He was absolutely not alone in his divinity. His closest friends, God the Father, God the Son, his closest family, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this beautiful triune, beautiful moment of being together together. 
And Satan comes and tries to subtly undermine his relationship with his father by twisting his father's words. You see it? Now, you may hear in that that I'm saying, good luck in the wilderness. I hope you can hear the father and the spirit. That is not the example. Because in the book of John, what does Jesus say? Be as one, it's a commandment, be as one as I and the Father am one. Jesus says, listen, I want, in the book of John, if there's anything John writes about, is that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we together can have the same kind of fellowship and community and belonging with one another and with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when we stick together. When we said on Ash Wednesday, I invite y'all to a Holy Lent. That's what we said. Not just you, not just you, not just you. Good luck. I invite us all to a Holy Lent. We are saying that we absolutely need one another. We walk through this Lenten fast together in fellowship. Our self-examination and our repentance is done with brothers and sisters as Jesus commands. Be as one as I and the, I and the Father am one. I'm going to just say this to you as a warning. Going in alone against the devil without the help and encouragement of others is the exact opposite of what Jesus shows us in the wilderness. We need to do it together. We need to do it together. The next two things, very quickly, I wanted to spend time on that one, self-examination, because we've talked a lot about identity and calling and community. We've talked about how the enemy comes against it all the time. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The other two, very quickly, these are very easy. They're not that tricky. Prayer, fasting, and self-denial. Jesus went to the wilderness, and he didn't eat for 40 days. He didn't eat for 40 days. So I just asked myself the question, why? Why would Jesus practice this fasting and self-denial? Prayer we get. We can get prayer. If he and the Father are one, they've got to communicate. We get that. That makes sense. But the fasting and the, and the, and the self-denial, why would you do that, Jesus? I mean, 40 days without food. This is as close to death as you can get. To say that he was hungry seems like the grand understatement from Luke, doesn't it? He's hungry. These are not stomach pains like we missed a meal and I'm hungry now, it's breakfast. 40 days. Why, Jesus? Well, one, let's just talk about the divine. We have a high priest that knows our weakness and our frailty. I think this is why Jesus chooses self-denial. It is the great act of love toward us, is it not? I'm going to step into my humanity for you for 40 days. So that I can understand what it's like to be weak and desolate and alone. I can understand brokenheartedness. He understands betrayal. He steps into it. So that the writer of Hebrew can say we have a high priest who absolutely gets what it's like to be human. And we can pray on Ash Wednesday and otherwise that you do not despise what you created, God. You love what you created, You got to know us intimately through the incarnation. But two, I think there is something happening here that Jesus practiced self-denial. He entered a space of solitude and silence. He entered a place 
where the distractions of the world fell away. It is through the victory over these temptations that we find our footing firmly in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus gets away from everything else. All of the distractions. And he puts down all of the things that tempt him to take his own identity, his own calling, his own community. He goes into silence. I think that those two reasons is why Jesus practices self-denial. Because we don't have a high priest who doesn't get us. He gets us. He loves us. And Jesus went there because he needed to get rid of all of the things of the world so that he could be with his good father through the power of the spirit and have a sense of who he was, why he was here, and where he belonged. And lastly, even quicker, do I have to tell you how Jesus demonstrates reading and meditating on God's word? I mean, he didn't have like a set of scrolls with him in the desert, but we know that he knows God's word. You don't just, that didn't just, he's human. I don't think that just came to him. I think he was studied in the word of God. But that, I think really what's happening here is that in, in throughout these 40 days, and by the way, the temptations don't just come on day 39. We're told by church fathers, and, and it's in the text, that he's being tempted the whole time. But that the meditating on the word, he was able to think about it. He was able to pause for a moment. So that when the attacks came, he could say, no, 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 I know, well, I got it, I got it. I'm weak, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm being attacked, but still, I've got an answer. And it's not my own answer. Do you ever have, by the way, this is, these aren't Jesus' answers. He uses scripture to, rebu- to rebuke and rebuff. The motivation and perseverance and joy and humility and the passion for engaging in our callings to be the suffering servant, to act on his behalf. Come when we, yes, read for sure, but don't stop there. Come when we fast and when we get space in solitude and silence that we can meditate on the word of God. There is a direct correlation between effective lives for Jesus. The connection to God the Father through the Holy Spirit that allows us to act on his behalf through reading and meditating on the word. As one author writes in his book about being busy, you must do one thing. Read and meditate on God's word. That's not where you skimp on time. So for our 60 seconds of silence today, would like to just pause for a moment and contemplate our own condition before God. How are you hungry, figuratively or literally today? Hungry for God. A move of him. And in this hunger, how have you tried to get for yourself a sense of identity and calling and community? What are your deepest fears? What are you scared will happen to you if you go into the desert and follow Jesus in these? Where are you being tempted, whether you've fallen or not, to take matters into your own hand, to take physical comfort for yourself, 
to take power and control for yourself, to protect yourself through influence and things. How are you tempted? We just want to pause today and join Jesus. You bow your head and close your eyes. I'll watch the time. Our service next week will be a little bit different. You can can look at me now. (laughs) Our service next week, we're going to add an element. It's going to be a little bit different. We're going to just take some extended time next week after the sermon. In fact, we're going to hear from a, we're going to have some testimonies. Some people are going to share their story with us about how coming to the cross and confessing has unleashed their true selves in Jesus and who, who they were meant to be in their identity and how the cross is, is open, <laughs> open for our sin and for ways we've been sinned against and how we've hurt others for forgiveness. And then we're just going to pause after that and take some extended time and just invite you to come and to be with people, not alone, but with people, and pray through whatever God would have you pray through. Inner healing, physical healing, confession of sins, asking God to heal the way people have hurt you. Maybe you need to reconcile a relationship and you need some people to help you with it. We're going to take some time at the end of the sermon next week to do that. So in preparation for that, we will have teams today too. And I just would encourage you that if, if it's burning in you today, and man, God, you showed me something. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait in it for a week. But I would say this, I'm going to ask you, as as you are engaging with us in a holy Lent, to stay in this place of self-examination and repentance, of prayer, fasting, self-denial, and the reading and meditating on God's word. As we come next week in expectation that God will move in a way as he sees fit to meet us in this. We offer it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.